Good morning, church. Pastor Hez, one of the elders here. I'll be bringing the word this morning. Praise God. Would you pray with me? Father, you are so holy, so wonderful, so generous, so mighty, so good, indescribable. There's no words that can explain who you are and what you are. I pray that I might do my best this morning through your word to describe how awesome you are to us, that your people might place their faith in you alone and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the greatest questions that young people and older people alike are dealing with today, church, is the question of purpose. And I believe that the reason why so many are wrestling to find purpose is because many are convinced that finding purpose will lead to finding happiness. And so they are constantly asking themselves, church, questions like, where am I going in life? Or where is my life headed? Because they are concerned that if they are not truly living out their purpose, then they could be headed down a path filled with disappointment rather than satisfaction. Therefore, church, many people today spend large amounts of time and money trying to make the right decisions. The right decisions, church, that will lead them down the right path so that they might carry out the right purpose. This is why these days, church, there are life coaches everywhere as there are people who convince you, church, that they have it all figured out and they lead you to believe that they can help you to figure it out as well. That is, church, that they can lead you to the path of living out your life's greatest desires. Whether it's marriage or money or career, regardless of what that desire is, they lead you to believe that you can attain it. And it's because of this, church, it's because I have watched this time and time again, that I would like to do my part this morning in helping us to find purpose. And so I guess that means, church, that this morning I'm going into the life coaching business. As today, I hope to help us all to know where we are headed by truly helping us to know our purpose. And I have to be honest, church, Though purpose for many seems very elusive, when you truly understand purpose, it's actually very simple. As your purpose, church, hear this, is no different than mine. 
But in fact, church, we, we all share the same purpose. And that purpose is simply, are you listening? Are you writing this down? To worship. We were all created to worship. And many have it right, church, as they believe that there is a link between direction and purpose. Because it's the thing, church, that that you worship the most that will ultimately determine the trajectory of where you are headed. But the question is, church, if it's truly this simple, then why is it that so many find themselves unsatisfied? Why is it that so many wrestle finding purpose? Well, church, I believe that it is because we are constantly worshiping the wrong things. As many have been led to believe that the the worship of the things of this world will will bring them happiness. And, 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 And in a way, church, it's true. The things of this world might bring you some happiness, but it can only bring about happiness, church, that is temporary because the happiness of this world, church, is a feeling, a feeling that comes and goes based on circumstance, a feeling that cannot truly satisfy, which is is why we need something greater than the happiness that the world gives us, church. Something that is not based on external things, church, but something that is internal, a happiness or a joy that comes from the inside, one that is constant as joy is not just a feeling that comes with circumstance, but instead is a way received as a gift from the Lord, and I'm too happy already. A gift that circumstances can never give or take away as joy is something that God develops in us, church, as we look to him. I believe this is what Paul wants us to see today, church, as he is calling us and the Philippian church to live out this way. This is what he has been telling us throughout the whole letter, and he continues today continues to tell us to live out a way that leads us on a path of complete satisfaction, a way that finds its its purpose in worship. But Paul wants to know that joy is not developed, church, in any kind of worship, but there is a specific worship that leads to walking out this specific way, and it's that specific worship that he wants us all to see today. As we open up Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, where he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul leads us first, church, by reminding us of what he has been invoking in us throughout this letter, as he has constantly reminded us to rejoice. A reminder, he says, is no trouble for him and is safe for us as well. 
In other words, church, it doesn't pain me to write these things to you, even as I am here suffering in prison. And it does not frustrate me, church, to continue to say the very same things to you time and time again as finding joy and rejoicing, especially in suffering, is a safeguard for you. A safeguard, church, that, that comes as you find joy in the right thing because it's that joy that will keep you following the right path. A joy that helps us to, to not just react to the circumstances and things of this world, church, but a joy that fights to lead you in the way of our Lord and to push through the circumstances and things of this world. Paul is saying it's this remembrance that protects us from straying away from him and his gospel. As it reminds us, church, that Christ is central to our joy. Therefore, his, his ways and his character, his walk and his purpose is essential for us to continue walking in this way. To continue walking down the path that truly leads to fulfilling our purpose. And so Paul says, remember, church, remember to find your joy in the Lord because this world and its temptations will, will do all that it can to try to steal your joy and lead you down the wrong direction. But Paul says it's not only rejoicing, church, that will safeguard you, but he says it's also awareness. Therefore, he continues, as he says, you must also be aware. This is beware of those things that pull you away from true worship, things that will try to lead you in another way, fighting to convince you to make something other than Christ central to our worship. And the thing that he first warns us of, church, is false teachers, Paul says in verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul begins, church, by letting us know that this is no casual matter, church, as he uses very intentional and provocative language, language that speaks of a specific group as many believe that Paul is referring to those called the Judaizers, a group of Pharisees that Paul was well acquainted with church as he found himself constantly debating with them, a debate that finds at its core the manner of how one is called to live. And this group, church, continued to command that Gentile Christians follow Jewish ways, insisting that they must keep the law as a way of entering into the fellowship of God's people and living out the way of Christ. This is why we see Paul constantly, church, throughout his letters dealing with this matter of circumcision, as this was 
one of the, the issues most commanded of these Gentile believers, leading them to believe that they were not truly believers until they carried out this act of circumcision. In fact, it was this matter, church, that, that led to the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, as Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go to Jerusalem before a council of apostles and elders. They were appointed by the church to go and to contend for this matter by giving an account of all that God was doing and had done in the converting of Gentiles, church, as he led them to believe uh, and, and walk in his ways. An account that along with Peter's testimony led to the council's decision. As it says in Acts 15 and 6, that after much debate, Peter stood up and gave testimony as he reminded the council of the vision that God had given him earlier as the Spirit led him to a Gentile man named Cornelius. You see, it was this encounter, church, with this man that, that led to a Gentile people hearing and believing the gospel from Peter as it says that as Peter spoke, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they believed. A scene that, that, said, that it says left many of the, the Jewish believers astonished. And Acts 15 tells us that it was after this testimony from Peter during the council that the whole assembly fell silent. And no, there was much debate. They agreed, church, that there should be nothing put before Gentile believers that has not been put before Jewish believers as Christian fellowship and justification comes by faith and faith alone, not by following the works of the law. But yet and still, as Paul is writing this letter a time later, he still finds himself contending with this group. That is, contending with those who believe and teach that in order to truly worship God, one must carry out work alongside of faith in Christ. Work that they believe makes you right with God and his people. And this is the reason, church, why, why Paul uses this language. Because it's a serious matter, as it's a matter, church, of justification. And he uses specific words to drive home his point as he, he warns them to not follow false teachers. And so he tells them, he says, look out for the dogs. That's calling a Jew a dog was an extremely serious offense. As this word dog was used to speak of Gentiles who were unclean. It was used to speak of those who were considered false teachers as the Gentiles enticed the Jews to follow pagan ways. 
pagan ways, church, that led the Jewish nation to be unclean and separated from God. And so Paul takes this word that has been used for Gentiles and he flips it and uses it to describe these Jewish teachers, teachers who he believes is leading Gentile people of God to follow unclean ways. False teachers of God who continue to make a case for requirements of justification other than faith in Christ alone. And then he doubles down, church, by saying, look out for those who do evil or evildoers, as he is emphasizing that not only do they teach falsely, but he is saying that they themselves are not even keepers of the law as he knows that no one other than Christ has truly kept the whole law. Therefore, he calls them evildoers, church, because it's only those who keep the whole law who are truly righteous. Therefore, Paul is calling them evil as their commands of the Gentiles is that of hypocrisy. As they are requiring something of them, that they themselves are not carrying out. And lastly, church, he then triples down and calls them mutilators of the flesh, accusing them of living as those who follow pagan practices. As he is making reference to Leviticus chapter 21, verses 4 through 5, where it says, he shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself. They shall not make ball patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their bodies. By calling them mutilators of the flesh, he is comparing them to those that make cuts on their bodies as a way of mourning or as a way of purifying themselves or making themselves holy before God. And Paul, in comparing them to those who carry out those practices, church, is putting them in the same category as pagans with unclean practices as they lead the people of God to follow rituals and false worship by requiring of them things that the Lord has not. Paul, in his indictments and warnings of these teachers, is essentially accusing them of practicing and commanding these Gentiles to follow in the ways of unbelievers, of pagans, as he contends that they are requiring them to produce something in and of themselves, something in them that will make them clean. And Paul is arguing that cleanliness and righteousness is not a work of us, church, that we can do on our own, but that the righteousness of the Lord is a work of the Lord. He is arguing that there is nothing in and of our hands that can make us right with God. 
Therefore, he is warning us and them to not follow anyone who would command of us any work of our own as a means of righteousness. Those who would lead us, church, to take pride in the pursuit of anything other than the gospel and glory of Christ, as that pursuit will not only leave you dissatisfied, but it will leave you going down the wrong path. And just as there was in Paul's day many false teachers, the warning still holds true today. As there are plenty who would try to convince you that there is something other than believing the gospel that makes you right with God. Even in this day, there are some who would tell you that you must keep the law in order to enter the kingdom. There are many who will tell you that you must follow the customs of this culture or agree with their affinity group or political party in order to truly follow God. And Paul is telling them and us, church, that it is only by believing this gospel that you will gain entry into his kingdom. That it is only by this gospel that you will find fellowship, church, with his kingdom people. Because, church, it is only by believing in his gospel that you can follow in his way. A way that comes by believing in the finished work. A way that leads you to study and follow his teaching. Teaching that prevents us from being led away from his gospel truth. Truth that he places in us, church, through his word. Truth that he reveals by his spirit. This is why this is such a serious matter for Paul and should be an extremely serious matter for us. He is telling them that circumcision was never even truly a physical matter to begin with, church, but it's always been a spiritual one. Meaning that if you, you have never truly had a circumcision of, a, of the heart, then your, your physical circumcision, church, he says, is of no value to you. In other words, God has not done something to them on the inside. If he hasn't done that, then, then there's nothing uh, uh, that is happening on the outside. This is the very thing that Paul says in Romans 2, verses 28 through 29. He says, for, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praises is not from man, but from God. This is why Paul tells the Philippian church, he says, we are the circumcision. He is saying that the true people of God are those who are being transformed by the spirit from the inside out. It is not the work, those who work to attain transformation from the outside in. Has this type of transformation, church, 
can never come by teaching that will lead you to put your faith in something other than the finished work of Christ. And Paul says, if you accept this teaching, church, you put, your, uh, uh, you put yourself at the center of your righteousness. And if you do that, then the gospel of Christ will be of no value to you. This is what he says to the church in Galatians in 5 verse 2. As he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. What strong words Paul gives them. As Paul is saying that if you accept this type of teaching, teaching that says that we need something other than faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then you make his justification of no value. You make his justification, church, of no value. Meaning to truly accept that is to detach yourself from the work of Christ in order that you might carry out a work of your own as you make your work your justification. Therefore, Paul says in Philippians 3 and 3, the true people of God are those who find their worship not in works, but those who work in him, who worship him, and what he has done for them as, as they worship him by spirit, by the spirit of God and by his truth. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Therefore, true purpose will always be found by those who are saved by faith in Christ. And they are those who have received his grace, grace that gives us, church, his spirit, the spirit of God, who leads us to truly pursue his ways, a pursuit that grows in us as he transforms our heart and our mind, not through the religious ways of the flesh, as some might suggest. And I know what some might say, church, they might argue that this, this belief here is a belief of Paul's as they seek to divide Paul and the church. But know that it is not just Paul's teaching, but know that this is the gospel as this is the very thing that Christ tells Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, 5 through 6. As he says, truly, I say to you, no one is born of, of water and the, uh, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is of flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is of spirit. This is what he says, church. This is what he tells them. And I seem to have 
lost my place. Therefore, he says, church, beware of false teachers that would lead you to something other than this gospel message. But not only does Paul warn them to beware of false teachers, church, but he also says beware of putting confidence in the wrong things. As he tells them in verse 3b, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says, this is how you know where you're going in life, church. This is how you know where you're headed. It is by where you are putting your confidence. And it is by knowing what you are trusting in. And in pointing us to this matter of confidence, Paul is re-emphasizing and reminding the Philippian church of what he has already told them at the beginning of this letter. That is that his confidence is in the Lord, the one who has started a good work in them as he promises to bring it to completion. A promise, church, that guarantees joy and satisfaction as it promises that, that, uh, uh, that he will guarantee in us the gift of a new heart, one that has his words inscribed on it, that we might meditate on them, church, day and night. And this promise also guarantees the gift of his spirit as he promises to give us a helper that will reside in us, one who will never leave us nor forsake us, but one who will transform us, church, into the likeness of his son, a likeness that will bring with it a true righteousness as God works his righteousness in us. Paul says, this church is what my confidence is in. And he says, listen, know, know that I'm not saying this because I don't have anything else to place my confidence in. He says, just in case you thought this was a default that comes from me not being able to make the cut, know that this is not the case. He says, no, church, that this is not just some gripe that I'm holding because I'm salty with Jewish culture. He says, as a matter of fact, know that I'm telling you this as one who has accomplished everything that these false teachers are telling you that you need to do. And not only, church, have I tried to do it, but if anybody, he says, can boast in these things, he says, it is I, as I have checked more boxes than any of them and can boast in more works of the flesh than any of them. 
Paul says, if you want to look at circumcision, church, I wasn't just circumcised, but I was circumcised, church, on the eighth day, meaning both of my parents was full-blooded Jews and followed the Jewish customs to a T even at my birth. If you want to talk about lineage, he says, not only am I a Jew, church, but I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, which is one of the most, and if not the most, revered tribes of Jewish tribes throughout history. He says, as far as heritage, church, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he came from the top echelon of Hebrew families as he was taught in the best schools and he was educated in all of the Jewish ways and have learned all the Jewish languages and was brought up in all the Jewish customs. Therefore, he is saying, church, my lineage, my ethnicity, and my education is top of the crop of the Hebrew people. And if you want to talk about living out this Hebrew way as to keeping the law, he says, I was of the highest status as Paul himself was a Pharisee and a leader of the ruling class of Jews. He says, as far as being really about that life, church, there was none more zealous than me as I was not just commanding people to follow in these ways, but I was willing to take their li the lives of those who claimed to follow in the ways of Christ. Therefore, not only did I believe in those ways, church, but I believed in them so much that I was willing to take the life of another who I believed had violated these Jewish ways and customs. And as far as righteousness that is gained by keeping the law, Paul says, I held to the most strict adherence of the law and that it could be considered that I would be blameless. And with all that said, as one who had gained everything this way could give, as one who had attained everything that you could base on worldly status and customs, whatever gain that they would claim that this way of life would bring you whatever satisfaction and righteousness that they would claim that it gives. Paul says, I count it as nothing. He says in verse 7, for I count any gain that those things would bring to me as worthless for the sake of Christ. He says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the suppressing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says to the church, hear me, church, as one who has reached the highest pinnacle of the self-righteous way of this world, as one who has truly attained everything that the world would give you as reason. He is saying, please trust in what I am saying. It is of no gain when compared to what you gain. In Christ Jesus, church, 
He says it amounts to nothing. I count it as loss. In fact, church, he doubles down and he says whatever assets or status that I had, I was willing to give it all up as I was willing to suffer the loss of everything in order that I might gain Christ. Paul said the things of this world church when compared to the worth of knowing Christ. It's like trash to me, church. He said it's like dung. It's like feces. In other words, he is saying, please realize what you have and do not stray from the ways of Christ. Realize the riches of knowing him. And being able to have an eternal relationship with the creator of this world, the Alpha and Omega Church, the beginning and the end, the only one who is holy and righteous and unclean, the one who says that he created this world for him, by him, and through him, by the word of his power. Through his, his words. A world that was created ex nihilo as he created something out of nothing and put flesh on bones and put trees in the ground and put uh, uh, the, the clouds in the sky, church, fish in the water. It's this Christ. How could you follow after something else? How could something else become your central means of worship? How can something, church, in and of you compare to the riches of knowing his glory, his holiness, his name, having it being inscribed on you, church? He calls you his sons and daughters. The creator the all-knowing, indescribable, unbelievable God of this world says he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. Paul says anything, anything that the world would tell you bring you a joy that that can bring is a lie. It will never satisfy. How is it that we can continue to worship the things of this world when you have the creator of all things before you, church? Paul says, indeed, I count it all as loss. All as loss. None of those things can bring about the surpassing joy of knowing and being known by our great creator church. Paul says, I will do and give up anything to be able to gain him. To be able to gain his likeness and his ways his righteousness and his holiness. He says in verse 9 that I might be found in him, church, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith 
in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Because it's this righteousness that puts me in his presence, church. The presence where there is fullness of joy as we find our joy in worshiping him in his presence. As we think on and truly understand the power of his resurrection. As we think on and truly understand what it means to know this God. As he came down in humility and gave his life so that you might find it. A knowing that is much like what Moses had as he, as it says, he sat in the presence of God and had the holiness of God reflected on his face as his face became so much like God that the holiness was blinding to those around him. Holiness that was shown so bright that the people could not look on his face. Paul says, this is what I want. This is what my purpose is, and I am willing to give up any and everything, church, to get it. This is where my life is headed, and this is why I'm willing to suffer in this prison, giving my life to him through beatings and disregard, through disdain and hatred, because even as I am suffering in this life, I am gaining more of him. More of him, church, as my suffering is making me more like him. As his ways call for a humility that calls for me to bear my cross and give my life that others might gain it. And it's this giving of his life that brings Paul the most joy. This is why he says it's not a problem for him, church. He is saying, don't don't pity me because I am in this jail, but look at me as an example of one who is becoming like Christ. As his suffering becomes mine, as I give up my life for his church. That is by any means possible that I might attain life from the dead. This is your purpose, church. This is the life and the way that you are called to. As he has called you to be a people who live to bring him glory. As one who through faith in Christ has now become a chosen race. He says, you have become a royal priesthood church, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had, you had not received mercy, but now through your faith in him, I give you mercy. Therefore, he says, I, I urge you today, church, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from chasing after the passions of the flesh. 
to abstain from chasing after the desires of this world. As those desires, church, wage war against your soul and lead you down a path of unrighteousness. A way that is dishonorable and unholy. A way of those who are evil doers. Therefore, rejoice and find your purpose in the worship of the Lord. As this is why you were created, church, to bring God the maximum amount of glory so that you might find in him full satisfaction and joy. For you to pursue anything else would be foolishness. To continue to believe in any other way is to lead yourself to a lie. A lie that only brings about dissatisfaction and brings about eternal death and separation from God. Therefore, Paul says, remember to rejoice Beware of those who lead you into self-righteousness and put your confidence in nothing else other than the work of the Lord. As this church is what guarantees a path to purpose, life, and joy. Joy that finds its end in the presence of the Lord. Amen, church. Let us pray.